I'm RJ Bell with the sports betting headlines for Thursday. The Suns dominate again, and for the second time over Denver, they cover easily. Now, the Suns are the third favorite to win the NBA title. A lot of conflicting talk about Jordan Love. Some are saying, oh, he's doing pretty well. Others say not so well. We got Vegas odds that absolutely hate Jordan Love. No way to spin this one. Tonight, the Magic of Game 3. Milwaukee dominated twice, but still, because of the must-win, they're favored by 3.5 points over the Brooklyn Nets tonight. Here comes a 4-hour The Vegas Truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas, live on a Thursday, live on 225 FSR stations. This is great, great nation. Lot NBA, look ahead action, action tonight. A recap, Chris Paul, could this be the year? We got some college football news. A lot of stuff going on. This college football is interesting. We'll get to it. Sports batters listen for the money. Sports fans listen to no more than their buddies. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we have a doubleheader in the NBA playoffs coming up later on. Plus, things could be changing in college football very, very soon. What is the Vegas lead here on this Thursday? Well, you know, like my mama always says, you can't know what's going to happen if you don't know what happened. So let's see what happened last night. Let's lead off with the Suns. Yeah, it was the Phoenix Suns taking a 2-0 series lead over the Denver Nuggets. 123-98 to the final. Phoenix rolling, looking to capitalize on their momentum taken from the L.A. Lakers win, and that series uh, win over the Lakers. By the way, my mom never said that, Jonas, in case you were wondering. <laughs> Just made that up. <laughs> it sounded good. <laughs> All right. So, in sports... It seems not possible until it is possible. And this happens all the time. I can the, the, the series that really jumps out at me was when the Lakers were going what were they going for? Four in a row? When they played Detroit that year? Um, four and yeah. five years. Four yeah. and five years. Okay. won the year before. Yeah. And and it felt like thank you, Mackenzie. Is it felt like there's, and they had Malone. If you remember, they had some of the old timers. I think Gary Payton was on that team. Yep. And the idea of them, it's like th- this Pistons team, who was the biggest name on the team at the time? And, and even to this day, no gigantic names. It was th- one of the few teams that won it, whereas it wasn't about one or two stars. It was a team. But it seemed impossible. And then... Pistons won, Pistons won. All of a sudden, it looked like, how could the Pistons lose? I was thinking that in the Spurs against the Heat, the year they actually ended up losing. But the you know Spurs could have easily won that series, and then they won the next year. It's hard to imagine this Phoenix team, a team that was discounted 
the entire year. Oh, they're playing hard in the play or in the regular season because they don't know any better. Second seed won't matter. They might have to face the Lakers. Oh, it's against the Lakers. They're done because they have no inside presence. I mean, this is all stuff we've heard. Uh, no way they're going to win the Pacific Division at 12 to 1. Well, yeah, we heard that too. <laughs> and you know what? Every step of the way, they've knocked down the doubters. They've knocked down what stood in front of them. And I would make the following case. If Harden stays out and we don't know when he's going to be back, if back, I'm not sure there's any team that Phoenix should be afraid of. I think even without Harden, Brooklyn would be favored. But I don't know by how much. I mean, it won't be gigantic. I know that much. And... I just never saw it, right? It was always, well, Utah's got the better record, you know, by a couple games. So there, if you're going to pick a non, you know, typical team, a team that's not, you know, one of the great franchises or with super, super, super duper stars, it was Utah seemed to get the default. And very few people, I mean, Mackenzie, just go back, find kind of the break point uh, where it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Uh, title wise, but I mean, if I recall, they were in the 20 to 1 range, the Suns, not that long ago. So pop in when you got that. I'm RJ Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. And the point about checking the odds here is saying it wasn't all that long ago that you could have bet a little to win a lot on the Suns. And what I'm seeing now is a team not just winning but a team that's gaining confidence. Jonas, you predicted that. And Chris Paul's getting healthier. Uh, their inside presence with Aiden's improving. I got to tell you something. I don't, uh, it, to me, the news here is the fact that the Suns are a very viable contender for the title. You got those odds, McKenzie? Yeah, the All Star break in March was 32 to 1 for the Suns. There, and, and this was a team that was pretty much right there with the Lakers and the Clippers in the Pacific at the time. So, exactly. They, they had the lead on the Lakers and Clippers already at that point. Yeah, so you have the lead over the Lakers and Clippers, but that don't count. Well, Lakers are gone, dispatched by the Suns. Clippers, will see, they're down. But Chris Paul's there. And I mean, it's, it, to me, it's exciting and it's noteworthy. Jonas, what's your takeaway? Yeah, no, I think they've been outside of Brooklyn. I think Phoenix has had the most impressive showing in the postseason thus far, just based on, and you could say, well, you know, um, you know, the Lakers took them to six games, and, you know, if you look at Utah, they only got taken to five, and, and I get all that, and Milwaukee <clears throat> going into their series after what they did to the Heat were impressive, but Phoenix had to overcome the champs. They had to overcome the team that everybody thought, even at less than 100%, you know, the Lakers are going to roll in that series. So they overcame that. Then they come out this series and were completely dominant over the MVP of the league and a Denver team that showed a lot of guts in, in, in finishing off Portland the way that they did. And when you factor in that Phoenix wasn't really a part of the bubble outside of just the remaining games to meet whatever the TV requirements or season length requirements were, there was a feeling, and, and Monty Williams, I think their head coach, deserves a lot of credit where – Everyone asked him, you know, what what do you what do you tell your team that, you know, they haven't been here? They haven't dealt with, you know, these playoff pressures. And he says, I don't need to tell him anything. You guys have already told him. And he's just trusted that they were going to figure it out and go through the process. And, and I think that Lakers series was massive to their confidence. Yeah. So I, I agree with um, 
I would put a little spin on your general point. This would be my affirming of it is that no team has gained more in the playoffs so far. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Yes. But the fact is, if you do beat LeBron, when quite frankly, your key player or your veteran key, it can't shoot threes playing, you know, partial games. And yeah, I get it. You can say on the other side, oh, the Lakers were hurt too. But all I know is that when the Lakers went up 2-1, they were significant favorites to win. No one was thinking, everyone was saying, wasn't it a shame the Suns, you know, got a second seed, but they had to face these Lakers. And here we are. And they look better than, I mean, what could they face that will be more daunting at any point? I'm not saying they're going to win it for sure. Not even close. But I can't see a reasonable scenario that they're going to face between now and winning the title if they do that will be more daunting, that will be more challenging than when they were down 2-1 to the Lakers and LeBron's clowning and, and the sense of – they LeBron does that for a reason. He wants to psychologically take the other team's hope away. And it not only didn't that happen, it seemed to be a driver for them after. I think they've overcome their biggest challenge, and because of that – they're the third favorites and behind the Nets and the Jazz. And I don't think that that is wrong in any way. I'm R.J. Bell straight out of Vegas. Mackenzie, what was your main takeaway from the game itself last night? The Phoenix crowd. It was really it was noticeable from the broadcast. And if you look at the switch from game two to game three, the seven-point line adjustment, that's way bigger than we've seen the home court advantage be worth so far in these playoffs. The Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets have especially good home courts. Yeah, so um, Denver has the altitude, which means a lot in the regular season especially. Now, why would you say the regular season especially? It's because... The, they, the altitude is particularly a negative for the road team on the second of back-to-back nights, especially in that second half. For about 10 years, first 10 years I was in Vegas between like 98 and 2008 is one of the default wise guy bets. Sharp bets was under in the second half when Denver was playing an opponent on a back-to-back. It was just a situation where that team had nothing left. Denver would take control of the game. They didn't try to push it themselves. They flattened the ball out, and that was a goldmine for a long time. In the playoffs, there are no back-to-backs. So, yes, altitude matters. Home court matters. But one of the reasons that both Utah and Denver tend to get downgraded a little bit in the playoffs is because during the regular season, they benefit from something artificial, that altitude and teams having to play on a back-to-back, that is not the case at any point during the playoffs. Doesn't diminish that the home court will matter here, and it is a little noteworthy, though, how that altitude affects certain things and not others. So, Mackenzie, let's go over this line. So, the closing line, Phoenix Game 2 hosting Denver was... Five and a half. Five and a half. Okay. And now the line in Denver is? Denver favored by one and a half on Friday. 
right. So now what's causing that swing? Is it is it the fact that and you could say seven points though if you're going through pick 'em, it's not quite, but okay, so let's call it uh call it six. All right, six point swing. Does that mean home court's worth three? No, no, no. Yeah, I do believe Phoenix is probably worth two and a half maybe at this point, and Denver's probably two and a half. And the last piece of it is going to be the must-win element for a team down 0-2. And you typically see that in the first half, especially in the spread. Do we have the first half spread yet? Let me grab that. Yeah, because that's always interesting. If you remember, Jonas, it was in the uh, oh, it was the Miami Milwaukee game three. Yeah, and and Milwaukee was up 2-0 in that series, as you recall, and. In the in the first half, Miami of the third game was actually favored by a small amount, but Milwaukee was favored for the game. When do you ever see that? Well, it's because history tells us that that third game advantage for the team down 0-2, it usually exerts itself in the first half because the crowd is so enthused and that energy comes out early, advantage home team that needs the win. Any, uh, any first half line, McKenzie? Uh, yeah, Nuggets are one and a half in the first half as well as the game. Okay, so think about that, Jonas. So for the entire game, the Nuggets are one and a half point favorites. In the first half, they're one and a half, which means in the second half, they're even. So again, weighted to the first half. And the market's telling you this phenomenon in game three is not to be piddled with. What's going on, Jess? I, I just I want to see how Denver responds because their head coach called him out after the game, uh, said he felt like they quit. And there's you know you hear this from players all the time that you can you can call me a lot of things, but if you tell somebody they're a quitter, that really bothers people. Like that really gets under their in skin. a way they respond to. Or? Yeah, yeah, in a way they respond to. But I don't know if. See, look, they're completely outmanned. I mean, the, J- Jamal Murray's injury is showing up more in this series than the previous one. And so without him, I don't. I wouldn't have given them much of a chance to win this series. And Phoenix has been so dominant. But when your coach comes out after you get hammered like that and you're clearly outclassed and outmanned and he says, our guys quit – I'm not sure if that means that they're going to come out, as we've talked about, you know, guns blazing in the first half to kind of prove him wrong and and, and it lit a fire under him, or they're going to sort of rebel against his approach and maybe take uh, take a little bit of uh, offense to it, and maybe this team just closes up shop and we've got a short series on our hands. Yeah, I very much dislike his words in that case. And it's just because this is a team that last year had one of the great, valiant wins yep. over Utah. Remember that series? Yep. yep. And the idea that play, you know, I get it. It's a different team, but this is a team that had Murray go down and finish the year so much stronger than people expected. They went in a, it was a war against Portland and go in there in game six to win. So all you're seeing is win from these guys, or at least whenever they have a chance. It was only the Lakers that took them down last year. And now because they have a they finally get tired, I mean they're playing thin. When you when you're playing playoff level basketball and you're thin, your rotation, you're gonna have some games where you fall behind and you just don't have the energy to catch back up. And you know what? It's probably better to let that game go. Yeah, because the amount of energy it would take to even get back in it and you don't have much of a chance to win anyway. So this this Malone feels like he's got one bag of tricks because he's always crying about his team. It's your team. You're the one that coached it. 
Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I just, and that's also a good point. Like of all the teams that are remaining out of the bubble in the final mm-hmm. four last year, they're the only ones that are left and they're doing it with the star of the bubble injured. Yes. Um, they're doing it, closing out one of the more dangerous teams in Portland in the first round. Like they, I, I don't look at this team no. as, as quitters at all. And I just wonder how many players in that locker room hear that, especially last year when they were down three, one to the Clippers and they made that come back, which could have, you know, who knows? It may cripple yeah, that another, franchise. You're right. After Utah, after the it, war of the Utah series. It, it, and, and so to, to hear them call, get called out like that you're after You're getting indignant right now, Jonas. I am it just, too. It's, it's a little bit surprising. And I just, I don't know that they're going to take too kindly to that, to be honest. And I don't think they should. I've all, no. I, I would say if you would have voted even after the recent blowout, who's had the gutsiest performance in the playoffs? Denver. I think Denver's right there. And yeah. I think Phoenix, you could say. And, and maybe Embiid, you know, for a short time. But, I mean, like, Denver's in the mix. Yes. The fact they won one series means they've exceeded expectations. So, yeah. But this is what I'll do. Just because we'll take our break, just because I am kind of mad at Denver's coach, <laughs> I'm going to give you one element of Denver's blowout loss that actually should make you very optimistic for Game 3. I mean, very optimistic. He's R.J. Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a closer look at the series moving forward between the Suns and the Nuggets. And some hope for the Nuggets, some buried in the bog score. And we're going to talk a little bit of college football playoff expansion. Great day to join. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences doubled in the last year plus. That's because of you supporting the show. And we're going to return the favor supporting you with the best show we can do. You can listen to us on the iHeartRadio app. Just search for Straight Out of Vegas. Here in Vegas on the Strip, it's a mild 89 degrees and the neon is flowing. So, RJ, we've been talking about game two between the Suns and the Nuggets, which Phoenix won by 25 last night. They find themselves up two games to none in that series with game three coming up tomorrow night for the Denver Nuggets down 0-2. Yeah, and the thing about these two dominating performances by Phoenix is they won both games by 17 or more. And the last team to do that, the first two games of a series, was over two years ago. So if you actually think about it, 15 playoff uh, series per year. So it's been over 30 series since we've had this kind of domination early. So not usual to see a team handle the opponent this easily in the first two games. So what is it that gives Denver hope? Well, for quite a while now, Will Barton, a guy named Will Barton, his dad was Mr. Barton, is what (laughs) people are saying, is I didn't know much about Will Barton. But what I knew was that a lot of people I respect were saying it's important that Denver gets back Will Barton. 
Now, McKenzie, you were talking about his defense. And listen, when it comes to defense, the analytics don't measure as well as offense, but they're getting better. And you've got a real shocking number about how good uh, Will Barton, Mr. Barton's son, is. <laughs> yeah, according to 538 in 2019, based on their Raptor analytics model, he was the seventh best defender in the league. So 2019 being last year? Yes. So maybe last year would be the way to say. Tw- <laughs> 2019 is almost uh, – because now you do realize that the NBA has a, – it's a 1920 season, 2021 – you follow? Yes. So last when you say year, 19, <laughs> no one knows what you're talking about. Well, I meant 2019. Yes, yes, not exactly. this year, last let's, year. Let's try it again. Will Barton, what is the? We're just gonna run through this. What is uh, the metric that really jumps out at you about Will Barton? 538's Raptor model last year had him ranked as the seventh best defender in the league. That made sense. Can we cut that, Jonas? <laughs> no, no. Okay, that was good though. That's Mackenzie Rivers. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. But this is an example, Jonas of a guy without a big name. Defense is obviously what or part of what Denver needs. And you might say, RJ, that's just speculation. Yeah, maybe, but it's not. Because Will Barton played last night, first time since April. He played about 16 minutes. Right? In those 16 minutes, the plus minus of Denver was minus two. In the other parts of the game, it was minus 23. So now that could be a coincidence, too. But when you lose by 25 and you play about a third of the game and your plus minus is barely negative, that feels like Will Barton's doing something there. He's on restricted minutes. At least he was last game. Take a gander at uh, Barton's minutes, or at least what the coach says he's going to play. Hopefully, he's not a quitter, but we can <laughs> we can see. But uh, I'm actually optimistic about Barton. Um, any closing thoughts in this series? I, I just I think the series is over. Um, I, I don't think Denver's got a chance. You haven't met Will Barton. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's true. I, I just I, I look at I just think the Jamal Murray injury is massive. The later you get into the postseason, I think it's going to make a, a big impact. Um, and at some point, I do think that fatigue is a real thing to keep an eye on when it comes to Denver, as we've talked about after a deep run, and you know after you know. But wouldn't the time you have two days off be the time that maybe is mitigated a little bit? Uh, yeah, maybe. But I just think at this point in the season, they've been playing you know shorthanded without Jamal Murray for. A long time now and I just wonder at some point there's just a reality to it and and Phoenix just feels like a deeper team and they feel like a team that's on fire right now no doubt no doubt and the question is this if you look at the series price right now if you want to bet Phoenix you've got to bet $850 to win 100 if you want Denver 100 wins you 600 so it's you're right it's pretty easy when you have a you know, almost a 90 percenter that chances are they're going to win. But the real question, or at least one of them, is game three. And that's one of the great things about betting that adds enjoyment, I think, Jonas. And I think you've uh, enjoyed that yourself is when there's not an intrinsic reason necessarily to really care. Uh, putting a little bit of money on it can help that reasoning. Yeah. And uh, I personally, if you do like Denver... I hate when the market adjusts for something. I'd rather they didn't. So I would rather have Denver without a wait on the first half because game three, first half, when a team's down 0-2. But I do think that if you think of Chris Paul, 
the opponent is he seems to be willing to take a few body punches and he likes to really exert himself in the fourth. He knows the game's not decided until the fourth is over. But you know what? The first half bet is decided before the fourth quarter. So if anything, let me throw this out there. Does anyone disagree with this or agree? Is It strikes me that if there's any team that's going to be susceptible to maybe getting down in the first half, Phoenix in a spot where the home team is so motivated because they're down 0-2, early motivated, that Phoenix feels willing to take a couple of shots and come back as opposed to standing super strong and resisting early. Does that feel – I know this is kind of touchy-feely, but what do you think? No, I I totally agree. And I also think if it's even close at halftime, Denver's in trouble trouble well not if we if we make the bet and they win by two we well, won. I, I mean well yeah the, no good point but i and and i've thought about this as well too if phoenix goes out and win game three i like i i don't know how denver gets up for game four i i don't think uh, that, yeah i think I, you're I, right I just, and and listen this that is as um we've talked about that is one of the real phenomenons that speak to how the emotions matter. Yeah. Be- because you could say, wait a minute, these are professionals. They're getting paid so much money. Oh, three or not, they should play hard. Well, what usually happens between game three and four, because game three is a must win. So if anything, it's skewed a little bit to Denver's advantage where they're getting a little bit of extra um, respect. But if they lose that game three, as you said, oftentimes the line will move. Remember, three and four is always going to be at the same venue. So you would think, okay, what's the line difference? Four or five points you see sometimes adjusting. So like in in that theory, Phoenix would go from a one and a half point underdog to maybe even a, a three and a half point favor, even though only one thing changed, which was one game. But since 3-0 kind of feels hopeless, oftentimes those teams do not play well. And I the, the team down 0-3. And I think your point is if you're beat the heck anyway, fatigue-wise – it's kind of easier to throw in the towel if you do go down 0-3. Yeah, especially when your coach calls you out. I, I did see that uh, Jokic, um, you know, he sort of, I, I don't know, fired back is the right term, but just, you know, commented on Mike Malone saying that they quit, and he just said, well, I know I definitely didn't quit. And, well, and so... Yeah. It, well, if I, anything, you could make the case that was kind of thrown as a... As a Teammates under the bus. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, <laughs> I, I think Bel- was, you ever see Belichick do this kind of crap? Never. Never. Yeah, I, I just, I think that was a bad approach, yeah. considering everything. I mean, I and I wonder if you could lose somebody for you know forever based on those comments. If they would ever look at him the same again, just calling him out like that in a tough spot. No man likes to be called a quitter, but if you're putting your gut, if you're playing as hard as you can, and you're called a, and you're being questioned in that regard, that really is an emotional. Uh, negative, gigantic, one that lingers. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. Let's jump to this college football playoff talk because uh, it's big news. Yeah, the College Football Management Committee will meet next week in Chicago, and they are expected to propose a 12-team college football playoff expansion. Uh, Now, there's been talks about when this could possibly get done if it's approved. Uh, 2023 has been a year that's been thrown out. There's also some that were reporting earlier this week this could get done as soon as this year. But the way that it works is that under the 12-team format, uh, according to ESPN, the four highest-ranked conference champions 
teams would be seeded one through four. They would get a first round bye, and then teams five through 12 would play each other in the first round uh, on the home field of the higher ranked team. Uh, and that would set up our brand new college football playoff, expanding from the current four game uh, four team model to 12 teams. OK, so Jonas loves this, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, awesome. you like more playoffs, more more things to bet on. Live bet Jesus gets going, <laughs> right? So, is there any negative? If they made it a thirty-eight team, would that be too much? Yeah, for well, you? that's that's too much. Um, I I would say <laughs> we know the, one, the line. <laughs> the, the one the one negative on this is that you've got to win your conference championship in order to qualify for a bye. Well, Notre Dame was in the college football playoff. That means they're out moving forward, unless well, they join out, a out conference. Of a bye. Yeah, unless they join a conference, they won't get a bye. And and I would and I would say a bye week is an advantage, as we've seen in in a lot of in in the NFL for years and years. So that's the one thing that I, I'm curious to see if there's any sort of modifications when they get together and discuss this. That maybe there's you know Notre Dame excluded from that, or but I, I do think this was ultimately they were eventually going to expand. I thought. It was going to go to eight teams um, to see it go to 12 seems like a lot but I just think at some point the money was too much and, and there were, there was no other option other than them expanding from the four so is there speculation on what will happen with uh, how the bowl games would be affected I have not seen that yet. Anything seen... that decreases the number of bowl games has my vote okay so yeah I, I, and I got that from uh, from Brett McMurphy. He said, expect anywhere from four to ten bowls to be eliminated by 2023 okay. if this goes through. There. All right. Well, we might hear <laughs> Alabama and Boston College decide to play one that weekend. But, <laughs> but I will say this. I don't like the number. I like it being split where you're – because here's the thing. What are you fighting for? What we saw in the NBA playoffs hunt this year – Different than the NFL, some like like Jonas. I thought, oh my gosh, you only you got seven teams or or six teams or what? Yeah, six teams, I guess it is, all kind of down there in the muck, and then one team gets a bye. And to me, it, it it just made the fight for one was always important, right? But now the fight between two and three don't matter anymore in the NFL playoffs. This creates it feels like in a good way and i'll tell you why i don't like it but in a good way it competes it creates a lot of competitiveness for the different slots right everyone's going to want to be one then everyone's going to want to have a buy so four and five becomes super competitive and then everyone's going to want to be in the top half of the non-buys if you're not getting a buy because you want a home game so everything counts. And every week, imagine that it will come out and we'll be debating it. And I love all that. Here's what I don't like. A playoff only has a purpose, one purpose, effectively, ultimately, and that's to decide the national champion. Can the 12th team really win the national championship? I don't think they can. And thus, why are they there? And this isn't the NCAA tournament, right, where there is a sense that if you're a team that's the 14th seed and you win two and make it to the Sweet 16, you've done something. This isn't what that's about. This is football. Every game is a, is a battle. It's, uh, you know, concussions, all the stuff we worry about. Why would teams be playing in a game like this 
that don't really have a chance to win it. And my question is, Jonas, do you see the 12th best team any year having a legit chance to win this thing? No, but it does create the .0001% chance that they could, and thus that's why people, I think, are supportive of this because they feel like, well, at least they're going to get their opportunity. Yeah, but if they would have went to six, that would have been interesting. Two buys. Yeah. Then four, because I think that six and seven, you could still make the case that decision's important. But now 12 and 13 doesn't mean anything. I mean, it means something about getting in, doesn't mean very much in a chance to win it. And and there's also the the feeling that, you know, the SEC's 100% on board with this. And there's been some thought that, well, you know, the SEC doesn't want expansion because, you know, they're always guaranteed to get at least one or two teams in. No, no, no. The SEC's on board with this because. I mean, at the end of the year, five teams possibly are in the top 12 when it comes to the the, the final rankings. So this would be a, a, a stage for yeah. even more SEC love uh, to come out there. So so they're they're good with this. So if you if people out there are tired of the SEC and they're tired of hearing about them and you think this is going to eliminate that problem, it's not. Like this, I, you're still going to get at least a couple. That's a great idea, Mackenzie. Look up last five years how many SEC teams have been in the top 12. Be sure to catch live. Editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. It is Straight Out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. Sorry, let's take our last break. When we come back, we're going to see how many teams the SEC would have averaged in the top 12 the last five years. And we got two playoff games. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to give you either. A, well, I know I'm going to give you a best bet. It's either going to be a pizza best bet or a full best bet. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. And this is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it. You listen to it. I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And, R.J., we've been talking about the college football possible playoff expansion. Uh, They will be meeting the management committee that is next week in Chicago to determine if they will accept the proposed 12-team expansion possibly coming up as soon as 2023. Going to be a lot of shrimp at those meetings. I'll tell you that. Free shrimp. (laughs) Uh, I'm worried about the SEC. We did the research. So last five years... How many SEC teams have been in the top 12? Well, it would have been about half the time there's going to be three SEC teams that make it, and half the time four SEC teams would make it. 18 in the last five years in the top 12. Oomph. Too much. Let's do this. Um, I want to give that Jordan Love stat that I promised in the headline, or it's actually a 
set of odds real quick, and then we'll do the two games. I got a best bet coming up. So we said, hey, some people are saying Love's doing well. Some people are saying he's not. But here's the Vegas number that hates Love. Who's going to be the Packer week one starter if Rodgers is traded? If he's traded. Jordan Love's not even the favorite there. Drew Locke is 3-1. to one. Derek Carr is 4-1. to one. Jordan Love is 5-1. to one. I get the Derek Carr part. That's just the odds of him getting traded uh, is smaller. But the idea that Drew Locke would come in pretty much cold and beat out Jordan Love, that's what Vegas thinks. That does not bode well. You could say Vegas hates Love. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't I don't know how that makes any sense, but uh, well, uh, you know what, what do I know? I'm bad at gambling. Well, uh, hey, take, right. take off the rubber band, baby. <laughs> no, no, because ah. then you know how that works. It'll go the opposite for sure. So, so I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my bet on the Utah game. So let's start with Milwaukee. So Milwaukee finds themselves down 0-2 to the Brooklyn Nets. Game 3 coming up later on, 7.30 Eastern time, less than an hour from now. And it is Milwaukee, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, this is the power, the, the, the hope that comes with Game 3. Because what did we see? We saw that when Milwaukee... Think about this. Think about how much reevaluation there's been just in one game. Because Milwaukee loses the first game. No one gets all that excited. Hardens out. And lo and behold, in game two in Brooklyn with the NBA title favorites, Brooklyn, at home, they're underdogs at home. Milwaukee was favored in Brooklyn. Then they lose that game handily. Harden, Smarten, they didn't need them. And now they're only favored by three and a half. At home. So it's a two-point adjustment. It's showing you that as much as you would say game three, there's hope. And the fact that they're favored says there's hope, Milwaukee. But, man, there's been a, 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 a embracing of the Nets because when you're getting points at home without Harden and now you're only getting three, three and a half on the road without Harden, that means that the Nets are considered to be much, much better. I actually like Milwaukee here. I think it's too much adjustment. I'm going to call that, I'll call it a lean because I actually like the next game more. Yeah, the second game of the doubleheader later on tonight, 10 Eastern time on ESPN. Utah with a one nothing series lead over the Clippers, and it's the Jazz, a two-and-a-half-point favorite on pregame.com. In fact, I'm doing an impromptu change. We're going to have a pizza parlay. <laughs> a pizza parlay. We're going to go with Milwaukee, and we're going to go with the second piece of the parlay for pizza is the Clippers. And the rationale is simple. The Clippers had big, big disadvantages in game one. Fatigue, physical, emotional. Utah was home, rested, psyched up. Now, if you notice and you look at that box score to watch the game, it was like, huh, Paul George did poorly. Kawhi didn't do so well. Why does that matter? Because those are the two guys that were probably the most fatigued. So now with the rest... We're back on an even playing field. Conley is out. We're getting two and a half. But Conley being out for Utah is an adjustment uh, against Utah. He does move the needle. And I don't think the Clippers want to go down. I mean, obviously no team wants to lose. But I think they're going to be extra motivated here. And when the pressure's on, I don't think Utah's necessarily felt it yet. So I'm going to go with Utah. And the other Side of the pizza parlay is going to be, oh, check that. I'm going to go with the Clippers and then the other side, Milwaukee. So it's Clippers, Milwaukee.
We are straight out of Vegas. If you missed any of today's show, you can check out the podcast at foxsportsradio.com to get details on that pizza parlay bet before tip-off here less than an hour from now. We are back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio and as always on the iHeartRadio app. Straight out of Vegas! 